Would you pray with me? Our Father, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So we would ask this morning that you would feed us by your word and the power of your spirit so we might see the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As I was looking at our passage this week and meditating on it, I, I couldn't help but notice, in addition to how difficult this passage is, just how different it is from many of the motivational speeches and even commencement addresses that we often hear. Okay, I don't remember personally a lot about my college commencement address. It's been a, a few years. For some of you, it's uh, been longer. Maybe you're in the same boat. But I'm guessing if we put our heads together, we could probably put together a few of the main points. Okay, you're probably familiar with these that we're probably told that we were future leaders. We were the hope for tomorrow. That hard work and dedication would pay off for us. Okay, you've heard different versions of this, even if not in a commencement speech, but in commercials and ads. We're told that if we pursue what we're passionate about, we can make a difference in the world. Sometimes that happens. It's not terrible advice. However, if that's all we're expecting from the world, then Ecclesiastes, and specifically Ecclesiastes 10, reminds us that we're in for a rude awakening. We may even be disillusioned. Here in chapter 10, the preacher Solomon It's as if he catches us walking out of graduation with our cap and gown, with a smile on our face, upbeat. And he pulls us aside and he says, that's not exactly how the world works. I know you heard the speech, but before you walk out those doors, there's something you need to know. The world just doesn't always work that way. Let let me tell you what to, to really expect. Working hard won't always get you to the top. Sometimes who you know is even more important than your integrity. Most people won't even care about your opinion unless you have money and influence. And you're going to have to learn how to work for an incompetent boss. That's just the way the world is, and you need to be ready for it. It doesn't, that doesn't make for a very good commencement speech, right? I'm probably not going to get hired to give that for any college or university. Okay? At the same time, we have to admit, if you've lived more than a few hours, you know that a lot of those things are actually true about the world. Hey, in our passage this morning, the preacher, as he refers to himself, is going to contrast folly with wisdom. Hey, and we're going to see that wisdom is often overshadowed by folly. That's just the way the world works. 
Right. But in order for us to make sense of this and for it not just to sound cynical, there's something we need to understand about the world. And Corey covered this last week, what he called a Genesis three world is what we live in. A world that because of man's disobedience, sin has entered and affected everything. God's original design has been twisted. Ecclesiastes reminds us, unless we factor this into our understanding of the world, we are going to have unrealistic expectations. So just to kind of help set the stage, you've heard the text read. Let's back up one verse to the end of chapter nine here just to kind of get a running start, because I think this will help us make sense of our passage this morning. Chapter nine, verse 18 says this wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. In other words, wisdom is really valuable and effective But it often gets overshadowed by folly. Then look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Just move down to the next verse where our passage begins. This first proverb says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So like dead flies and a good smelling ointment, a little folly can ruin Everything. Okay, wisdom is good, but when we look out at the world, it often looks like folly is winning. Okay, in some ways, this is like a a banner over the entire chapter here, chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes. And our passage is like a running comparison through Proverbs of wisdom and folly. And you may remember, Corey talked about this again, what a proverb is. It states a, a general truth. Okay, these aren't airtight equations. It's not dealing with the exceptions. But in general, it says this is what wisdom is like and this is what folly is like. Okay, our passage this morning sounds a lot like the book of Proverbs, if you're familiar with that. Okay, so we're going to do this a little differently than normal. I'm not going to walk through every proverb and analyze it individually. I'm going to put us in, I'm going to put this passage into two main columns, okay? We might call it the fruits of folly and then the benefits of wisdom. Okay, the fruits of folly and the benefits of wisdom and we'll walk through these and just pick out Okay, we'll start with folly, pick out characteristics of each here, of folly and wisdom. Okay, so we'll start with the fruits of folly and there'll be seven of these. Okay, we'll spend most of our time in this comparison between these two things. And then at the end, we'll think through briefly how to respond. So first, the fruits of folly. Number one, the thing we need to know based on chapter 10 here is that folly is at root a heart issue. Folly is a heart issue. Verse three, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Okay, when we hear the word fool or folly, okay, we may think of someone who is ridiculous or maybe not very intelligent. Okay, but in scripture, the fool or folly is a moral issue. It it means something has gone wrong. The person needs a heart change, not just more education, not a few wise tips for living. The fool needs a heart change. 
Okay, all the other things we're going to look at this morning are rooted in this truth, both for folly and for wisdom, is that they are heart issues. Here's how Jesus put it, Matthew 15. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Sin and folly starts with the heart. If you're here and you're not a Christian, let me just encourage you, this is the place you need to start. Not by just trying to gain a few wise tips to make your life easier or better, make your business more effective, or your relationships run smoother. The place to start is at the heart. In a little while, I'll talk more about what this means, because when God saves us, He gives us a new heart. Okay, but first, let's realize this. Number one, folly is a heart issue. Number two, folly shows itself to others. Okay, folly inevitably goes public. Okay, even though it begins in the heart, it doesn't stop there. Whatever is in our hearts comes out of our mouths and it shows up in our lives. Look at verse three. Even when the fool walks on the road, even when it seems like he's on the right path, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Okay, the fool may not see who he or she truly is. Okay, but it's like a person who doesn't know they have a giant stain on their shirt. They walk into the room and everyone else sees it. That's what the fool is like. If we apply this to ourselves, you know, we can claim to know God. We can claim to believe his word. But let me ask you this. What do others see from your life, from your conversation? Do those who know you best say, yeah, I see wisdom in him or in her. What about your neighbors or coworkers? Maybe who aren't Christians. What do they see from observing your life and listening to your words? Okay, we're not talking about sinless perfection, but Ecclesiastes reminds us whatever is in our hearts is going to come out of our lives. Okay, Jesus put it this way, you will know them by their fruits, not just what their profession is, but by their fruits. Okay, that's the way it is. Folly shows itself to others. That's number two. Number three. Folly sometimes gets put in charge. Folly sometimes gets put in charge. Okay, Ecclesiastes has a lot to say about evil and foolish rulers. It may be that even a chapter like this was initially intended for a counselor to this kind of a ruler. Okay, but you don't have to look hard at the world to see that the most qualified people are not always those who are in charge. We just went through a midterm election. Okay, let the reader understand. Okay, the most competent people, and I don't care which party you were rooting for, the most competent people aren't always put in charge. That's not how the the world works. So look at look at verse five here. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. So he calls it evil, as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler, folly. Oddly enough, is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. 
Okay, just to clarify here, he's not saying that being rich or powerful automatically qualifies you to be a good leader. Right? If you've read any of the rest of Ecclesiastes, if you've been here for the rest of it, you know he talks about the emptiness ultimately of riches. Here he's talking about people who weren't trained or competent to lead, which at that time in all likelihood would have taken a little means. Okay, he says folly is set in high places. They're the people in charge, while those who are qualified to lead are walking on the ground. Okay, the least qualified people sometimes get the promotion. Those who are competent are often passed over. Things are upside down from what we would expect. Again, not a great commencement address here. If you're competent and well qualified, chances are you may not get the promotion. That's number three. Folly may be unqualified for the job, but sometimes it gets put in charge. Number four. Folly is self-destructive. Folly is self-destructive. Look at verse 12 here. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. So fools don't only harm others, they actually consume themselves. Have you ever walked away from a conversation and thought, why did I not just keep my mouth closed? Right? Or how many times, I should say, have you done that? Why did I have to speak? Right? I not only brought harm to somebody else, but I brought harm to myself in the process. Right? Remember, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. How we need the Spirit's help here. Not to be foolish. Just to ruin ourselves with our words. Folly is self-destructive. That's number four. Number five, and I realize we're flying through these. Folly is prideful and presumptuous. Folly is prideful and presumptuous. Folly assumes that its plans will succeed, but it doesn't account for what it doesn't know. Okay, look at verses 8 and 9 here. A pretty vivid, intangible illustration. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. Okay, it's not clear to me whether... Digging a pit or breaking through a wall is meant to be a malicious act. In the book of Proverbs, sometimes digging a pit is pictured as something evil. So he could be saying when you, when you do evil, it can easily just turn back around on you. But it's pretty clear here that quarrying stones and splitting logs is not an evil thing. This would have just been things that you do in your work. Right, his, the overarching point is we don't know what's going to turn out with our plans. Even innocent things that we do can turn out poorly. We don't know the future. Life is unpredictable. Right, but for the fool, this doesn't slow him down at all. Look at verse 14. A fool multiplies his words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? Only God knows the future, which should give us a posture of humility. 
Right? But fools are unfazed by what they don't know. The fool makes sure everyone knows his or her opinion. They talk with great self-confidence, not realizing that they're ultimately at God's mercy. I'm reminded here of the words of James 4. You've heard people say, Lord willing, this is, this is where it comes from. James says this, come now. It's almost as if James here had been doing his devotions in Ecclesiastes. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's arrogant, prideful, presumptuous to assume that we are in control, not only of the world, but even of our lives. Doesn't mean we can't plan. The Bible talks a lot about that. Ecclesiastes does, the book of Proverbs. We need to plan. It's the fool who doesn't make plans for the future. But the wise person holds his plans with an open hand, knowing that he is not in charge. That's number five. Folly is prideful and presumptuous. Number six. Folly is wearisome. Folly is wearisome. Verse 15, the, t- the toil of a fool wearies him because he does not know the way to the city. The fool literally wears himself out because he doesn't know something as basic as how to get to the city. Right? Which is probably just a metaphor for he, he doesn't even know the obvious things here. The way God has made the world. Everybody knows how to get to the city. Right? It's not some out of the way place, but the fool doesn't know how to get there. And so he wears himself out. Preacher reminds us that sin and folly are ultimately exhausting. They promise satisfaction, but they end up wearing us out. Okay, maybe you're there now. Maybe you're refusing to, to turn from a particular sin in your life because it sounds too hard. But just remember, sin is a hard taskmaster. In the end, it will destroy us and wear us out. This is why I love Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, 28. Do you remember this? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. You're weary with sin and self Come to me and I will give you rest. Sin is promising rest, but it's not delivering. Come to me, he says, and rest. Stop swimming against the current. Stop relying on yourself. Friends, again, the world likes to portray sin and folly as enticing, but in the end, it is destructive and tiring. That's the sixth thing. Finally, the seventh thing about folly that we see in this passage is that folly harms others by seeking its own pleasure. Folly harms others by seeking its own pleasure. Okay, in verse 16, we get another glimpse of what happens when foolish 
leaders are in charge. It says, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So here we have a picture of a young and immature king who surrounds himself with gluttons and drunkards who are only looking to satisfy their own desires. Instead of using their position for the good of others, they're only looking out for number one. Okay, and this has disastrous consequences for anyone, but particularly for a ruler. The whole land suffers when this happens. They're supposed to be serving others, but they're self-absorbed. And notice verse 18. It's no shock here, too, that they're also lazy. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Folly doesn't attend to the things that it needs to. It's too busy worrying about its own selfish desires. This is a good reminder. This is not just true for political rulers. For us as well, our sloth, our folly has a fallout on other people, our family, our friends, our fellow church members. When we don't attend to the things we need to attend to. Okay, there's... There's more we could say about folly. That's just seven things from our passage. And I didn't cover every phrase in here. But I think that's a, a good basis of comparison for what we'll see next. Okay, so that's the those are the fruits of folly. Now let's look at the benefits of wisdom. Okay, so we're going to start back at the top and work our way down and see the benefits of wisdom. The fruits of folly and the benefits of wisdom. We'll move through these a little quicker. Okay, number one. This is just the flip side of the first point of folly. Wisdom is a hard issue. Just like folly is a hard issue, wisdom is ultimately a hard issue. Verse 2, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right. Okay, it's his heart that does it. Okay, this is not a question again of IQ. This is a question of who you're trusting. Right, oddly enough... Being wise, according to the scripture, starts with admitting that you're not wise in and of yourself. Right? That's, that's what the wise man knows in his heart, that he, in his own strength and his own wisdom, can't make it. We have to look outside of ourselves. Proverbs 2.6 says this, for the Lord gives wisdom. Okay? It, doesn't, it doesn't come just by more education. The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Throughout Ecclesiastes, maybe you remember from past week, we've we've heard this phrase, the fear of the Lord. An internal trust in the Lord, of entrusting yourself to Him and His Word. It reminds us wisdom is ultimately a heart issue. Do you fear the Lord? It's going to come out in your life. But that's where it starts, in the heart. Wisdom is a heart issue. Number two, wisdom knows how to handle conflict. Wisdom knows how to handle conflict. Verse four, again, we're dealing with a foolish, angry ruler here. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. 
Okay, the wise person knows in conflict not just to throw gas on the fire. Okay, I learned this the hard way in my first job. Okay, I was the person who took the calls when one of the tenants had an AC problem or when anything basically went wrong with their space. I worked as a, as a property manager. I was really bad at it. But I learned what Solomon said here is true. People would call. They're really angry, right? And just the hotter people get, the angrier they get. So I would get the call, right? It's 80 degrees in our space. Can you come get it fixed? Okay. Sometimes they would use some pretty colorful language that I can't use here in the pulpit or even outside of the pulpit. Okay. One of the things I learned don't mean to paint myself as the hero of this story, but if I would just keep my mouth closed and remain calm, eventually the fire would die down. But if you try and shoot back at somebody, that's almost what a fool wants. They're looking for a fight. Right? If you just stay calm afterwards, a lot of times they would either come and apologize or I could just tell they felt ridiculous. Right. They had acted like a child. And when I stayed calm. Right. And I'm not saying I did that all the time. I wish I could say that was 100 percent of the time. But it would typically put the, the matter to rest. They would calm down themselves. Okay, The wise person doesn't feel the need to fire back when insulted. He or she is not ruled by their anger and emotions. Their trust in the Lord helps them to deal with conflict. That's number two. Wisdom knows how to handle conflict. Number three, and I hope you're seeing here how different wisdom and folly are. Number three, wisdom bring, excuse me, wisdom brings success in an unpredictable world. Wisdom brings success in an unpredictable world. We've all already seen with folly that the world is unpredictable. Fools try to act like they know what's coming, but they don't. But that doesn't mean that wisdom is just absolutely useless just because life is unpredictable. Look at verse 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Instead of wasting your time with a dull blade, wisdom knows the axe needs to be sharpened. Wisdom helps us to succeed even in difficult circumstances. And this isn't primarily just about how to chop down trees. It's about how we live life. Wisdom in everyday life helps us to succeed. Okay, that's number three. Number four. Wisdom's words are attractive. Wisdom's words and speech are attractive. Okay, again, this is just the opposite of the fool. Verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor. Okay, the wise person usually chooses his words carefully. They end up gaining the favor of others. People are, are attracted to gracious speech. Okay, you know people like this. Okay, when they talk, you're not nervous about what they're going to say. Okay, their words build others up and bring insights. Okay, as I was thinking of this, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but Beth Robertson's name came to mind. You rarely leave a conversation with Beth where you're not encouraged or built up. 
Okay, this is, this is, we're not talking about flattery here. We're talking about someone's words that are used to bless other people. Right? Gracious words win the favor of others. People want to be around that. What about you? Do people have to kind of brace themselves when they walk up to you to ask a question or to have a difficult conversation? Are you that type of person? They don't know what's coming up next. Or do they come to you expecting you to just talk about yourself all the time or maybe just be critical of others? People turned away because you spend all your time giving your own opinions. This is the opposite of wisdom. Wisdom words, wisdom's words are attractive. They build up. They give life. Okay, that's number four. Number five. Wisdom faithfully stewards God's gifts. Wisdom faithfully stewards God's gifts. Okay, you remember with our list with folly that a foolish king is just a drag on his people. He's like an albatross on his people because of his gluttony and laziness. But this is just the, just the opposite is true for wise kings. Okay. Verse 17. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast. Notice when they feast at the proper time. It's not just gluttony for, at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. The wise leader doesn't abuse God, God's gifts. He uses them for the good of others. He's not just feeding his own desires, right? This is not just true of political leaders. This is true in work, in the church, and in the life of every Christian. Okay, the fallout is certainly worse when it comes to leaders. But a good question to ask of of us and of any leader is, is, do we use our authority, do we use God's gifts for ourselves, or do we use it for the good of others? Okay, and related to this point, I didn't comment on this earlier, but verse 19, maybe you read that verse and you, it left you scratching your head a little bit. It did for me reading it this week. Verse 19 here, as we think about God's gifts, it says, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life. And by the way, we've already seen that in Ecclesiastes. He talks about God's good, good gifts, food, wine, bread. All those things are good gifts from God to be enjoyed. But the end of it here is a little surprising. And money answers everything. Okay, so what's going on here? Solomon really just throwing in the towel and say, ah, just forget it. Just go after money. And I think, unless he's had a change of heart from previous chapters, that that's not the case here. Okay, he's already warned us that money won't leave us satisfied. He's already pointed out that sometimes the rich can be really foolish. So how does money, what does it mean that money answers everything? Here I found one pastor, Bobby Jameson's comments to be really helpful. He talked about the fact that money is really a litmus test for us between the foolish and the wise. Okay, money in and of itself is not a bad thing. We need money at some level. To do certain things. That's certainly true if you're a ruler. If you're in government. You need money to carry out certain things. But even at a personal level. We need money. It's not bad in and of itself. It can be a, a blessing. 
right? But at an earthly level, money does answer everything. It can, it can get you a lot of things that you desire, including position and power and influence. Okay, so the Bible doesn't condemn it outright. It's the love of money, 1 Timothy 6, that says it's the root of all evil. But the key is how we view money, how we use it. Okay, First Timothy, at the end of 1 Timothy 6, Paul says this. I think this is really helpful here. As for the rich in this present age, so Paul's talking to people that have money. He's not saying you're wrong for having that money. Okay, ultimately it's a blessing from God. But he does have a word of warning. He says, for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In other words, how how are you using it? He says they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. The question for us is, are you finding security and happiness in your money? Or are you using it in gratefulness to God and for the good of others? Okay, that's how wisdom uses the gifts of God. It enjoys them and gives thanks for them, but it doesn't idolize or hoard them. Okay, that's number five. Wisdom uses God's gifts for the good of others. It stewards them well. Number six, wisdom knows how to relate to earthly authority. Wisdom knows how to relate to earthly authority. Verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Be careful what you say, because you never know who's listening. Okay, when, when I was in college, my first car died. A Dodge Shadow that had a hard time getting above 70 miles per hour. So I went with my dad. We, we went to the dealership. And I had my heart set on a Ford Explorer Sport. This was like a dream for me. Okay, so we're, we're there with the salesman in his office going back and forth. And as is typical, he, the salesman said, I'm going to let you guys talk it over a little bit. And he left the office. So of course, I mean, I don't remember my exact words, but I can only imagine that the volume of my voice went up and I probably started telling my dad all the reasons why we needed to get this vehicle. This is a really wise decision, Dad. I'm sure I told him something like that. We need, I need that Ford Explorer Sport. Okay, it wasn't new, slightly used, but for me, this was like a dream. As my volume went up, I distinctly remember my dad looking at me in the eyes. His voice got lower and he said, the walls have ears. Okay. At the time, I had no clue what he meant. Okay. I'm just kind of like, what, Dad? I mean, I want this car. Right. But what he was saying was, put, keep your voice down. They are listening. 
you're about to cost me several thousand dollars here, okay? He hears your excitement in the next room over. This is what Solomon's getting at here. Be careful. People are listening. Be wise in your speech. You don't have to act like you would pay double what he's offering here. Now that I'm footing the bill, I get it. Right? There are Christians in the world today who are living in places where the stakes are much higher than a few thousand dollars. They are monitored heavily in terms of their actions and their words. Okay, keep in mind here, again, this is, this is not a, a, a representative democracy here that this is being written in. These are kings and rulers with absolute authority. He's saying, be discerning, be careful. Doesn't mean that you deny Christ or you keep quiet about the gospel. Okay? Means that you need to be wise about what you say and don't say. Okay? For those of us here in a different situation, this doesn't give us free reign just to badmouth rulers. Okay? We're, we're used to that. We see that. Okay? Scripture tells us, though, to submit to them. To honor them and not just the people we voted for. Okay, wisdom can be righteous and discerning at the same time. Okay, think of Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew 10. I'm sending you out. Okay, they were getting ready for a really difficult mission. As sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Don't fear man, but be discerning. Okay, wisdom knows how to relate to earthly authority. Okay, well, that's the, that's the final item in our list of wisdom's benefits. Okay, so we've seen the benefits of wisdom and the fruits of folly. And based on that comparison, I hope you've been able to see that there is a stark contrast between these two paths, these two ways of living. There's, there's, as it were for us now, having seen that list, there's a fork in the road. We can go left towards folly or we can go right towards wisdom. Okay. But if we're honest, okay, I know in a, in a room like this, it feels obvious the choice does, but if we're honest in the everyday activities of life, this choice doesn't seem so obvious. I mean, think about what we've just seen in this passage. Okay, wisdom, yes, it can bring us success in a lot of different ways, but ultimately we don't know the future. You can work hard and save your money, but there's nothing you can do if the economy tanks. You can try and make decisions that honor the Lord as best as you know how, but one bad decision from you or someone else can change your life. Drastically. You can choose your words wisely. Doesn't mean you won't get in trouble for it. Doesn't mean you won't have to submit to, to foolish authority, whether that's in the government, in your work, or somewhere else. So, why choose wisdom rather than folly in a world where wisdom's benefits can seem so limited? It's not, again, it's not always the wise who are promoted. Sometimes it's the least competent who succeed. So why choose wisdom in a world like this? 
based on the entirety of Ecclesiastes, and I would say the entirety of Scripture, here's how I think we could answer that question. Okay, and we'll use Solomon's words here. There's more to life than what we observe under the sun. Remember, we keep seeing that phrase throughout Ecclesiastes. He says, he talks about all that he sees under the sun. In other words, everything that I can observe around me. But we need to know here as we evaluate wisdom and folly is that there's more to life than what we see under the sun. The path of wisdom will only seem worth it if you're living for something or someone who is greater than all this world has to offer. That's the only way wisdom is finally going to seem worth it. Folly runs after short-lived earthly gain. Wisdom runs after, or it sets its hope on lasting heavenly inheritance. Okay, we shouldn't be surprised then in a fallen, sinful world when the path of wisdom seems hard. Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew, excuse me, yes, Matthew 7. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. There's the path of folly. It's wide and it's easy. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Okay, the road of folly is wide and it's easy to take. All you have to do is follow the crowd or just follow your own sinful heart. And you're on the road to folly. That's your default setting in a, in a sinful world. The road of wisdom is much harder. It's like a narrow trail that gets treacherous at points. But here's the big difference as we make this decision, as we come to this fork in the road. The the path of folly is easy, but it leads to everlasting destruction. There's There's more to it than what we observe under the sun. The path of wisdom can seem hard, but it leads to everlasting life. But the greatest news of all, as we think about these two paths, is that walking this isn't ultimately up to us. God isn't waiting to see if you make enough wise decisions to see if you're qualified for his kingdom. Okay, in fact, I mentioned this earlier. You can't even start down the path of wisdom until you acknowledge I have no wisdom of my own. The good news of the gospel is that God has provided the very wisdom that we need in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Despite your sin and folly, God sent his son to live a perfectly wise and righteous life. The life that we couldn't live on our own. And he has died on the cross for all of the folly and sin that we have committed. And then he rose from the dead in victory over death and hell. When you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, and if you've never done that, I would invite you to do that even now. This is, this is what it means to live a life of wisdom. Ultimately, it's to put your trust in the one who is wisdom incarnate. When you turn from your sin and put your trust in him, you are receiving God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians one twenty four says it this way, and because of him, Speaking of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification 
and redemption. Our salvation is not ultimately found in us trying to make the right decisions. It's found in Jesus Christ who is the wisdom of God. The path to wisdom begins by trusting in Him. And then from from there He gives us His Word and His Spirit to keep us on this path. Okay, so, so for all of us here, we have a choice to make based on Ecclesiastes 10. We either choose the path of folly... It's easier a lot of times, can bring earthly success, but it leads ultimately to destruction. Or we choose the path of wisdom by trusting in Jesus to be our wisdom and by abiding in him. Let me close us in prayer and ask the Lord to, to help us then to choose wisely. Father, we confess that our hearts are too often drawn toward folly and sin. We're tempted to run after things that look appealing in the moment, but ultimately lead to our downfall. Would you help us now by your Spirit this morning, not to pursue wisdom in some abstract way, but but in Christ and in His Word. Give us confidence that even though the path is difficult, that our hope is certain. We thank you that in Jesus you have provided for us all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.